The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This episode of Beyond is brought to you by Gamefly. Do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. Beyond. 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 Yes, that is the name of the show. We say it repeatedly, and hopefully you've picked up on it by now. This is episode 510. My name is Max Scoville, and I'm joined by my good friends, the regular Brian Altano hey there. and Marty Sleva, and a special guest, Mr. Walt Williams. Hi. You write video games. I do. What are, what are the games? Uh, <laughs> what did you write? Uh, let's see. I wrote Spec Ops The Line, which is a game that came out a very, very long time ago. And uh, most recently, uh, I wrote Star Wars Battlefront Two. Holy moly. Hell yeah. That's and you right. also wrote That Thing, which is book. It is book. <laughs> what is book? What book, is book is like... It's like the longest twine game you've ever not played. <laughs> uh, lots of words, very pretentious. Is there uh, player agency? <laughs> yes. What system you is see, it for? There's a lot of interactivity. You can go linearly. Ooh, interesting. Uh, whoa, whoa. You can literally pick any page you want. Wow. Um, if you want to, you can even cut out the words and rearrange them to write your own book. Ah, modding. Uh, total now, player control. Is that the whole book, or can I get additional chapters at Best Buy? That depends. If you pre-order the book right now on Amazon, I will, in fact, write you an extra chapter and send it over to you, but only you. Now, this book is called Significant Zero. Yes. And we joke about video games and stuff, but this is actually a book about writing games. That's right. Well, writing games, making games, working in games, it's about my career in video games from how I started off just playing them growing up in Louisiana and moved up to New York and kind of fell into it as a career and going through publishing and development pretty much up to present day. Uh, just kind of kind of pulling the curtain back and showing everyone what it's like and what it really goes into making AAA games. So, nice. yeah. Yeah, and I, I I read it like a month or two ago, and I loved it, absolutely. And that's not like, I mean, we're friends, but if I read it and didn't like it, I just would choose not to be on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank but no, it was interesting because like, I learned about you and, and you growing up. I learned about your time at 2K on stuff like Bioshock and Spec Ops, yeah. which you know, two of my favorite games of the last 10 years. Um, and then I learned, like, I knew how hard it is to make video games and how, you know, crazy a thing like crunch can be or how you sort of have to kill your darlings at yeah. any given corner. But I didn't realize the specific examples of that in games I love until I read the book. So it's it's super effective in a way like that. We actually talk about this on the show a lot. It's been a theme that's come up a bunch of times about how there isn't really a ton of transparency when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, and we see it a lot in movies. Uh, Max and I are always geeking out about like the making of Star Wars books and all the behind-the-scenes books and even the sort of post-morts that happen. Um, but you don't really see a lot of that with video games. So does this the book sort of gets into that sort of stuff? Yeah. I mean, well, I think there's the reason there's a lack of transparency is, one... Uh, we're terrified of people uh, <laughs> and like just coming out there and being that open and honest with all the things we do and also making video games is terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in like a, oh, uh, you know, a slave shop sort of way, but just like there is a lot of stress and blood and tears that go into it. And it's hard. You, you want to express that and tell people about it without it sounding like, oh, no, no, this was a really, really horrible thing to do. Uh, whereas. We're all doing it again and again because we love it. It's fun. It's exciting for us. It's what we want to do. But, like, really diving into that, no one's opened up about it yet, so everyone right. still kind of feels uncomfortable yeah. uh, doing that. So you said, like, you sort of fell into this career. I know that's 
a it's a weird thing to sort of say like I want to write video games when I grow up. Nowadays it makes sense, but when I grew up in the eighties, you didn't write video games. Exactly. Yeah. Like Super Mario Brothers didn't have a writer. You know, yeah. Mega Man was just like it was like a guy made some no, toaster. That had a sentence at the beginning. Yeah, was, was in twenty X, it couldn't even finish the year. <laughs> it was, ah, put some X's there. Put some algebra. So how do, how do you fall? How do you go from being like I'm I'm I want to be a writer to like all of a sudden like oh I'm writing a video game. Okay, so I moved to New York. Okay, well, let's go back one more step. So I ended up going to college uh, on a military scholarship to be a Southern Baptist preacher. Good. That's how you. Yes. How, do, how do I get into the video game industry? <laughs> that lasted about two weeks. Uh, wow. And I was like, well, maybe God, not the way. Um, but I'll major in film. I like movies. I want to write stuff, take some screenplay classes. That led to me getting a freelance screenwriting job for a, a true crime uh, Jamaican New York uh, movie that was supposed to star Common, the uh, rapper. Yes. Wow. And this was, this was what year? Obviously, none of this happened. Of course, it <laughs> never panned out. Um, this was two thousand five. What time, what years were you living in New York City? I uh, moved up there in two thousand five, and I think we moved out of there two thousand eight. Okay, yeah. So you moved there right after I moved out. But yeah. I the, the a, a Jamaican crime thriller starring Common is exactly the kind of movie I would have watched in two thousand five. Right? <laughs> so I move up there to write this thing. Not getting paid any money. Um, do the rewrite and everything, and then it's, I'm, I've got like some money in my bank account from working in a mall in Austin for six months after I graduated from college. And I'm like, I need a job now because I will starve if I don't have money. Uh, and so I met a guy at a bar who lived with a guy who worked on a newspaper that I wrote on in college ten years prior. <laughs> I know. Uh, and he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't do anything. He's like, well, I'm the hiring manager at Take-Two Interactive. Wow. Uh, you've never heard of us, but we own Rockstar. I was like, I've heard of them. <laughs> uh, and he's like, why don't you send me your resume? Maybe there's a thing. Maybe just uh, an entry-level job. And a couple weeks later, uh, I, yeah, he's like, yeah, we got an entry-level thing. This new publisher, 2K, you've also never heard of them. But they're brand new. They're going to be great. Why don't you come in and interview for it? It's a little entry-level just production assistant thing. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that till my writing career takes off. Yeah, That's sure. Fine. Um, and then I got there, and they are like, wait, this guy can write stuff? We don't have to hire someone to review scripts. We can just keep paying him. Over. Yeah, let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. go. And, you know, I just like, I will absolutely do this. And, like, you know, every couple of weeks just be like, so why don't you just let me write the whole thing? Right. Give me a credit. It's kind of nudging yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and that took about five years before they're like, yeah, this military thing. Go do that. Do what you want with that. Wow. And so yeah. so the moral of the story is go go to the bar? Yes, yeah. go to the bar, take yeah. the first job someone offers you, <laughs> and then uh, annoy the people who you work for for five years until they finally give in to your demands. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things incredible. I like most about your sort of transition and that whole process from going from you know, entry-level production assistant to like writing spec ops is you seem to have done a little bit of everything. Yeah. Like on uh, – you have a story in there on the original Bioshock. You were taking – the screenshots, like the promotional screenshots. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was literally 10 years ago. So like, you know, video wasn't as yeah, was. you know, prevalent. Everyone wasn't pulling their iPhones up and watching videos. So it was, we need these really gorgeous screenshots and we make it, we need to make the game look cinematic and fun. And uh, you had a funny story with, with Ken Levine on that, that he wasn't really fond of your initial screenshots. Okay. So the first time, this is, I didn't even know it was Ken. It's the yeah. first time I ever met Ken. Uh, and the first time I'd ever met anyone at Rational. Um, we were going over there to, to Boston from New York to talk to the team about just getting some stuff set up. I think they were doing some focus testing that afternoon, and they were like, Walt, you're going to be doing screenshots. Just come over and talk to the, the team, see what you want, see what they want. And uh, going in, I took a couple, sent them over so they could look at them and be like, oh, your screenshots are so great, yay. Because <laughs> obviously, why would they not? Uh, and I get there, they set me up in a little desk, and this guy comes by, like hurrying by somewhere and stops and sees me and turns back and goes, are you Walt Williams? It's like, yeah. And he's like, you're taking the screenshots, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm taking. The... Okay, so what you're doing? Um, don't do that. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was basically yeah. my. I was like, okay, what's wrong with that? No, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't want to give you any direction because if I give you direction, uh, that might constrain you. I just want you to, um, I just want you to just do something else. Ooh, wow! And at this point, someone down the hall sticks their head out and shouts, "Ken, come on, we got a meeting!" <laughs> and I realize, oh, it's Ken Levine. <laughs> so. Now, leading up to this, here's the thing. Before we flew in, my boss said, now, you're going to meet these people, and Ken in particular, 
very nice guy, but also, you know, very big guy in the industry. I need you to not do the thing that you do when you talk to people. And I'm like, what is that? The, you know, that thing where you look at them like they are the dumbest person you've ever met in your life. <laughs> and I'm like, do I, do I do this to you, my boss? He's like, you do this all the time. I, I haven't picked up on it yet. So I've gotten better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you didn't know him 10 years ago. Yeah. So I'm, as soon as I realize this is Ken, I'm like, oh, God, I'm like rubbing at his my eyes. mouth. Yeah. Like, am I doing the thing? Uh, and then he's like, just anything else. Got to go. Bye. And like walks away. And so I'm like, okay, I'll take some more screenshots. So I just did the opposite of what I had been doing. <laughs> Uh, well, would I the opposite just be not taking screenshots? Okay, so here's the thing. The, the, here, when it comes to screenshots, your first thought is, I need to make this look like the game. That is the wrong thought. Do not make it look like the game. Make it look like a photograph, because that's what a screenshot is. You're going into a world, especially if you're doing like a 3D first-person shooter, you're going in like a person with a camera. Mm-hmm. Pretend you're a National Geographic photographer. You want to get like good setups. You want foreground, background, lighting, all that stuff. You want it to look like something you'd see in a magazine. You don't want it to look like the game you're going to play. Interesting. Because that's the dynamic screenshot. I mean, a video game is, it's active. Yeah. Uh, And you have to create the illusion of that by getting something that's dramatic. If you just try to make it look like the game, it's just going to look like a flat, lifeless picture. And so I went in and I took cinematic screenshots. And the next day, Ken Levine, once again, getting dragged by my desk to go to a, a meeting, stops, pulls himself away. He's like, that was amazing. That was genius. That was I. That was like you so, told me to do something. Else. When you're, when you're <laughs> like, doing this, you're not using just like a straight build of the game, right? No, you like, are. Are you? Yeah. Like well, this not, was you don't before, have like a free camera. Well, you do. Thing? You do have a free like, camera. Yeah. Sometimes I'll use the free camera. Sometimes I'll use the gameplay camera. Uh, but like you can do it both. And you would just you know it's hooked up to your computer. You're playing off a dev kit, and you, you know you're putting it into slow mode, and then just tapping the screenshot button like hundreds of times yeah. per second, trying, hoping that one of them, when you're done, you're just going to have thousands of screenshots, and you're like, uh, we got three right. today. Yeah. And you send those three over to PR, and PR goes, you got one today. And they send that <laughs> over to Rational. Rash goes, no. Wow, <laughs> man. Uh, and, uh, but it's great. Yeah. Like, it's fun, because you're putting together amazing shots. You're looking at the game in a way that uh, most people don't get to, which is moving through these worlds, watching the... The, the AI and the enemies move through, interact with things, and you're, you know, you've got ghosts on, so you're invisible. You're actually, like, stalking animals yeah. in the wild. They're walking around dragging their uh, pipes and, like, shooting each other and going crazy. And, like, you get to see that you're moving through the world like a literal ghost yeah. and not being seen. And that's a way, until you're taking screenshots, you don't realize that as a player, we never get to do that in these worlds. We never get to see them strictly as an observer. And that was a really, really cool thing for me because then going into working on a game Spec Ops immediately afterwards, like I was now looking at spaces not from the viewpoint of a player, but like how are these things going to exist and move without the player? How are they going to be real so that when the player does walk in and draws that attention... Like, it's going to feel as if they've walked into something that's actually going on. It's, yeah, it's not like that Zelda boss logic where it's just something sitting in a room waiting for the hero to show exactly. up. Right. I mean, which is funny, because I think you even mentioned the specific one, but there's that image early on in Bioshock where you come upon the, the splicer who in front of the baby carriage. Yeah. And it sort of has that really, like, shadow-heavy noir lighting. And I feel like that's one of those things where, like, when I think of that moment, I don't think of, oh, and then I ran up to her and killed her. I think of, like, pausing and just looking at it and being like, oh, right. what's happening yeah. here? Yeah. Right. So I almost think of that moment as a screenshot, not as like the action I did in the game. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting how so many games nudge you to play with like their photo mode now to kind of give that power to players to do themselves. I interviewed the developers of Horizon Zero Dawn, and they were talking about how like they took all these cool screenshots, and then they put the game out in the wild, and people were taking way cooler screenshots. And yeah. like the audience now is trained to look at things through that eye because like photographers play those games now, yeah. you know, like people like directors play. Well, those and games. I mean, everyone now with the power of an iPhone is sort of a photographer. Yeah, exactly, like, we're all yeah. taking pictures all the time. Yeah, right? and that's yeah, that's built in on the core level of a PS4 now with, mm-hmm. with all these games. Um, one of the other stories uh, I really liked was uh, you ended up work- working on Mafia Two. And then some of the, the the stories about recording VO on that. So you actually got to write some stuff for Mafia 2. I did. That's yeah. the first thing I ever got to. No, that's not true. I wrote on the Family Guy game, which I'm sure all of you played. Um, was it for mobile? No, no. This was the, the original one, one for the first Xbox. Oh, Family man. Guy, colon, the game, exclamation point. Was that your idea, the exclamation point? It was. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> I have one joke in the game, in the Family Guy game. Um, 
that this is like the time the grimace <laughs> stole all the. I don't know. <laughs> I actually, I had a, I had a great joke about the uh, the owl with the Tootsie Roll pops, but they were like, no. Why? That's I a great owl. I know. I, I was like, this thing is a thing. You guys should use. It. I'm still waiting to see if it pops up in an episode uh, at some so point. Put it in Battlefront. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> just like a porg with a death stick or something. <laughs> Uh, so, but yeah, so technically Mafia 2 would be mm-hmm. the first game I really wrote for um, and was writing. So a lot of people don't realize when you write a video game, there's two types of writing. You've got your main script, which is like writing uh, a screenplay. Uh, and that's your core gameplay experience, the, your cinemas, the main story beats that are happening. And then you've got your secondary lines, these generic lines, battle lines, uh, chatter lines. I'm reloading. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's just a spreadsheet. It's just like a mind-numbing slog of coming up with like 10 different ways that someone can say they're reloading and then doing that for 10 other characters. So it effectively has like a column that says scenario and then yes. reactions. Because yes. one of the things that I always, like the thing, um, I remember reading, Andrew Goldfarb did an interview with one of the musicians that worked on Borderlands and talked about how different it is making music for a game because the pacing can come to a stop depending on if the player doesn't feel like moving anymore yep. so you build up this like incredible orchestra which i imagine is the same thing that happens with the story right like you have these story beats that go and go and this sort of escalate and crescendo and then all of a sudden like somebody just stops and just jumps, jumps <laughs> yeah. around. so you have to have this like narrative coming in from the narrator or from the main player being like i should get going i really should get back to what i need to be doing i gotta get back out there and they have to write eight different versions of that and the character just stands there and repeats those yeah so that's the sort of incidental dialogue you have to write as well right yes and it's the worst it's <laughs> literally like you're writing it and you're like can i just like bite my fingers off and like once and just never have to write again because it's so terrible it's the kind of thing you don't see that in movies, no. though. No, right? no, like, well, or TV you kind shows. Of, they don't, here's they the don't, thing: they don't write dialogue for the extras, you know. Yeah, or like yeah. inner monologue stuff. But here's the thing: I noticed this when I saw not the latest Transformers movie, but the previous one, the first one that had John Goodman, the Transformer, in it. Uh, Wait, does he play a Transformer? <laughs> yes, no, he, he does, does, and it's fantastic. Is he Hound? Or is he like? Yeah, he's yeah. the he's the, he's he's the larger guy. He smokes a, a fifty caliber bullet as a cigar, and when he's out of bullets in his gun. He bites it to, like, shoot another robot in the head with that bullet. And it's the best thing ever. You describing uh, this should have been in the trailer because I would have yeah, seen this movie. Yeah. But there are just lines that the, the, the Transformers say in the middle of combat that have almost no relation to what's going on. They're just right. spouting. It's like, that's battle chatter. Yeah. They just wrote random video yeah. game. This is the perfect video game yeah. movie right here. <laughs> right. There's no plot. Things are just punching each other and blowing up. They've perfected the art form. It's amazing. I, it's so fascinating because when you're watching a film and a character stands in one place for a significant amount of time and then it goes on to the next scene, that's normal yeah. and it's, un, it's understandable. Like, But in a video game, if somebody does that, like something has to happen because people start to yeah. lose their minds. Yes. Like in, I don't know, Empire Strikes Back when the, you see the end of the, the ship at the end and Luke Skywalker is looking at it in the space and Leia's there. It's not like... We really should get going. <laughs> you don't hear anything like that. Like it just goes to the credits and yep. everyone's sad, I think. We're you know? always afraid that the player doesn't know what to do. That's right. what it boils down to. Because anytime we get to that discussion, I'm always like, you know, if we were just standing around, we would say nothing. Right. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but what if the Bounce player doesn't know they have to play now? Well, because a movie. And so that's what you have. That, you're basically saying, pick up the controller. A movie or a TV show happens regardless of if, if you want it to or not. You can leave right. the room. Yeah, you can leave the room. Yeah, you can fall asleep. Up. You can stare at it. But a video game, like, you have to nudge it along yeah. for the most part. So that's. Does that like that's that's a completely different process than writing the actual story, right? Yeah, no, it is totally different. Uh, it's 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 like you were describing, like you, the story's going, and then the player just decides to do whatever, and so now you're just having this whole other set of lines that'll trigger if like the player has not touched the controller for mm-hmm. thirty seconds, yeah. or the player decides I want to shoot my squad mates, so now you got to come up with lines that make it not seem like your player is a psychopath and your squad mates are going to keep following that character even though they've just unloaded a clip into you, and uh, it's. I mean, part of it's fun. Here's the thing. It drains you. Mm-hmm. And you're writing them, and you just want to stick a pencil in your eye. And so the thing that I've started doing is, and I, I started doing this in Mafia too, is that I would write four lines for the game, and I would write one line for me. Just whatever. I'm like, there's no way this will make it in the game. But it's fun for me. Right. And as long as I'm entertained, I'm having to write 2,000 of these in two days. So as long as I'm entertained every five lines, I can keep going. And like one out of 30 of those makes it in there, right? <laughs> turns out, Turns out when you write... Something fun for yourself. It's good. Oh, who knew? <laughs> That's great. People like it, and I had no idea. And I like two months. So I wrote 
in, and it didn't end up making the game because you had to cut the system. But Amalfi 2 is an open world game, and you can just go and get your shoe shined because that's what you could do back in that day. Everyone had fancy shoes, mm-hmm. you know, and for, you know, for a dime, you can get your shoes shined. And so you had to write lines for the guy talking. I'll shine your shoes. And, uh, I really like these shoes now. <laughs> pretty, like, pretty much that. Just like, that's some nice loafers you got there. <laughs> How about that weather? Uh, and then um, about two months later, I forget I've even written them. And I just get an email from uh, Jack Scalisi, who's the guy who's uh, recording and writing the game down in Santa Monica. And I haven't seen him in months. And the subject just says, now this is good writing. And there's a file. <laughs> Dramatic pause. <laughs> and there's a file. And I click it. And I open it up, and it's this line. And I, and as I'm listening to it, first off, the voices from me are like, "This is Booger from Revenge of the Nerds." What? <laughs> I never knew that this is something I wanted in my life is to hear Booger reading my lines. <laughs> and now I've had it. And then I'm listening. I'm like, "Oh my god, I wrote this thing." Was that actor? It was that actor. Uh, and the line is, "You know, it's a real shame that not more women like to have their shoes shine. <laughs> you ever, you ever really looked at a woman's shoe?" They're so, they're so slim, <laughs> so beautiful. You just want to, I don't know, smell them. <laughs> <laughs> and so Booger read that line? Booger read that line. And, uh, and, and then the, in the body of the email, was like, when can you come down to Santa Monica? You know, we've got work to do now. Because that was apparently the line because that you've created a that, non, you've yeah. turned a non-character into a character. Exactly. Yeah. That was the line. Smelling women's shoes yeah. that started my video game writing career. That's so in weird. Right? That's so right? damn weird. <laughs> what the hell? That, that seems like the clear next step was Spec Ops. It also Absolutely. Yeah. It weirdly feels like a line that was written specifically for Booger. <laughs> <laughs> booger or a Booger type. Yeah, a Booger type. Booger catch. Yeah. Um, damn it. Yeah, damn, no. it, damn it. Damn it. But there's also the, the the stuff that happens when like a player walks to the edge of the world, which is sort of like a writer meeting the designer aesthetics, yeah. right? Like or the limitations of the universe. Like in a lot of video games, you get to the to a place you can't go anymore, and they do one of two things: either there's just a wall and it just stops you, and that wall can be physical or invisible, or there's that timer thing that starts clicking in. Like you were playing Destiny two earlier, yeah, and that popped up arbitrarily. Where you walk out of bounds, or there's some places you just jump and you just die instantly. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't wasn't supposed to do that. This is a, this is a very shallow creek but then there's yeah. also you have to write those versions of like we got to turn around or we've yeah. gone too far right and those yeah, are all i imagine kind of mind-numbingly the same they right? are i mean li- anything that the player can do is mind-numbingly boring to write mm-hmm. uh, because you're just writing it all the time and it's always not what you want them to be doing you've spent all of this time writing this amazing story where every line is just heart-wrenching and moving and great and they're like i want to go over here and see if i can shoot out this light bulb and you're like, but that's not my story. Do you get a lot of uh, a, a lot of times where you'll you'll sort of write a set piece that they'll come back to you and say like on a technical scale that's way too hard for us to do. Like, Literally all the time. Really, all the time. Interesting. Like you're all. I mean, you always you you want to aim high and you give it to the designers and the designers will come back and they'll be like, that's just not possible. Like we don't have the memory or that's not what I want to do. I want to do this. And you go, okay, we'll do that. That's good, too. Because you want that back and forth. Right. Like, it's, it's not, writing a game isn't like writing a movie where you write a story first, hand it off, and then expect people to just do what you've put on the page. You hope that they will be inspired by that and go off and come up with a better version. Because ultimately, they're the designers. So, and you're not. Like, you're the expert at writing things. They're the expert at making levels and making these situations work. So they probably have a better idea of how to do what you're trying to achieve. Right. So you hope they take that and come back with something better, and then you rewrite to match that. But a lot of times, you don't know yet, like when you first come down with something, if it's impossible. Because if it's really cool, everyone goes, yes, let's do that. And then like three months later, a producer comes in and goes, you know, right. no, that completely kills, the, like just cut the whole thing. Well, like say, for example, you're sitting on your computer and you write like, and then the ninja cuts the train in half. And you're like, that sounds cool. That's like the no effort sentence for you, right? Yeah. But then like 80 people have to come in and like animate that and physically. Like we had a thing, um, Greg Miller and I did a special like Up at Noon episode a couple years ago where we told like Halloween stories. And I told the story about uh, like basically serial monsters getting together in this drug house. Yeah. And I just wrote a story and then did VO and passed it off to an animator, Panda Musk, and like a month later, he was like, I hate you. And I was like, why? I'm like, I, it was funny, right? And he's like, it's really funny, but it's just like incredibly vividly descriptive to the point that like 
every single sen- half a sentence of that was just wildly difficult for yep. me, you know, and like he made it, he makes it happen. But so you do, you, I imagine you have a lot of like, you write a thing, you give it to them and they're like, no, no. <laughs> pretty much. I, you learn to pick your battles with every, every game. Now I like maybe three big moments that I want to fight for. And I'll write those in the script. Everything else, super vague. Just like the thing blows up. Oh. They fight. <laughs> yeah, they can fight. Let, and then the designer can be like, I can come up with a good way to blow that up instead mm-hmm. of me saying, no, you blow up an entire refinery and like going into yeah. descriptive detail and all that, just like, eh, it blows up. Well, it's, it's fascinating you're working on a, on a Star Wars game, and I'm not going to pressure you too much about that, but I love it because the original Star Wars, they were working with limited resources, and they were like, oh, it, maybe we don't have enough model kits to explode all of them. So there was kind of that weird, like, oh, we have we don't have enough monsters for the bar we need to buy some halloween masks and glue hair to them yeah right and like you know in the case of games it's not like as simple as getting off the shelf halloween masks or model kits to kit bash you have to build everything from the ground up exactly like you have to you have to make gravity work yeah so like just that i mean it's that like um you know if you want to make a cherry pie from scratch you've got to invent the universe or whatever mm-hmm. it's like yeah. that i mean that applies to games and there's something kind of i think with with star wars kind of akin to that sort of like weird like early ilm approach to doing stuff like you're kind of bootstrapping in a weird way it is the upside to star wars versus other games is that a lot of your enemies are wearing helmets so i can write a scene where like there are 20 extras and no one can go Mm. we only have four faces right uh you can go well we have many different types of helmets and we can repeat them because (laughs) that's their look that's that's what the movie (laughs) now before we get to star wars let's talk about spec ops a little bit um that's a such an interesting game uh I remember I did interviews with you when you were yeah. promoting that. We were on that bus. That weird, there was like yes. a bombed out bus at what? PAX East 2012 probably. Yeah, I think so. And the whole thing leading up to that was like, we're like, oh, we're, we're doing we're doing interviews about this. It's a new Spec Ops game. And I'm like, Spec Ops? And I looked, looked it up and Spec Ops was straight up shovelware. Like the early, the early ones. Yeah. And yeah. so it was kind of like, so what's different here? And they weren't just straight up like, uh, it's harrowing. They were like... Well, um, it's a it's a sort of a new uh, narrative heavy reinvention, and there are sand physics. And I'm like, go on. And they're like, you're going to be talking to the writer. And I'm like, I'm going to be talking to the writer about a military shooter that's kind of a reboot of a like PS1 shovelware right. series. What's what's the deal here? And it was you were kind of like, oh, well, it's sort of you know, it's got some Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now stuff going on, but then. Sure enough, I mean, how do you? You can't even promote a game like oh, that. Oh God, no! That yeah. was, and that was all my fault. You that were a good yeah. sport. Yeah. <laughs> I blame myself entirely for writing uh, a story that we had to pretend. No, it's it's like other games, just darker. Yeah, like trust me isn't really good marketing. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you you do your best. You try to get people excited about it, um, but Spec Ops was it was one of those things where the story came together in like the last probably year. Of a five-year yeah, for a long time. How did, like how did that come years. to be? Was that always going to be a Spec Ops game? Yeah, it always was. Okay. Uh, and not only was it always going to be a Spec Ops game, it was a Spec Ops game at Rockstar uh, before oh. it came to 2K. Interesting. Uh, 2K had bought the license, and Rockstar, I think, uh, they were working on one about a year and a half or two years before. And uh, I think they got a little ways into it. And they are like, mm, we don't really have a thing for this. And so... Huh. Uh, the IP went back on the shelf, and then it, uh, someone took it. was like, I think we can come up with something. So they passed it on to us. Uh, and I was still relatively new, but uh, coming off of Bioshock, and uh, my boss was like, do you want to write up some ideas, maybe, uh, for story stuff? And I did, and then we were we found Jaeger, uh, the, the development team out of Berlin, and began working with them and came up with the story together. And a lot of it came down to they were like, we want to make uh, a squad-based shooter in Dubai. We were like, hey, no one's done Dubai yet. Let's do Dubai. That's great. And then the art, the lead artist was like, just doodling in a meeting and drew Dubai covered in sand. And we were like, that's cool. Why is it covered in sand? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and like, Walt, uh, help them come up with a reason why it's covered in sand. And so, and it just kind of went from there. Um, and then, what was I trying? How, the whole Heart of Darkness thing came around. I have this weird memory. Uh, and I don't know if it actually happened or if it's something Those I've are the invented. Best kinds. <laughs> I know, but I, I, I did a lot of Bioshock um, uh, PR with Ken, traveling with Ken, playing demos while he talked to press and was very, very smart. And I was just quiet in the corner. Uh, and I could have sworn I once remembered him. Someone was asking about the Ayn Rand stuff. And I could have sworn I once heard him say, if you're going to rip something off, rip off something good. He might not have said that. I don't know. <laughs> I. Maybe I just like dreamed he said it one night. But as we were working on Spec Ops, I was like, no one's ripped off Heart of Darkness Apocalypse Now yet. Let's rip off something good. Except for Apocalypse sure. Now. Except for Apocalypse <laughs> Now. But that wasn't a game yet. There you go. Uh, apparently, Far Cry 2 did Apocalypse Now, but I refused to play it. I'm sorry, Marty. 
it's a very good yeah, Metal, Metal Gear kind of did. Man, it how are you able to work with Mitch? <laughs> Mitch and I have problems. <laughs> um, but so I was writing a thing. Uh, we just did a little one page thing. I sent it over. They loved it. Everyone loved it. And we just started working on it, and it became over the course of like the next four years. It went a lot of different ways, but ultimately stayed kind of in that same. Things are just getting worse and worse and worse, and then ultimately it made the twist. Spoiler: You're insane, uh, and it, nothing's really happening. Um, even to the point where, like, the the final twist that not everyone picked up on, that you're dead, mm-hmm. that wasn't even part of the original... Uh, when we got to the final script, that wasn't part of the original final script. We were recording that when I got the word that someone had decided, my boss, uh, that we were going to take the helicopter scene from the end of the second act, and we were going to put it at the beginning of the game. And that really annoyed me. So I was recording with Nolan uh, North and uh, Omid Abtahi and Chris Reed, our, our main characters, and I flipped over my page script wrote a couple lines, and I just fed it to him. I was like, we need to record these real fast. Don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And then I were like, we're putting that in the game, but only the first time. And so when you start the game, you're in this helicopter scene, and it plays one way, and then when you get to it at the end of the second act, Walker's like, wait, no, this is weird. This is wrong. We've already done this before, with the idea being that the first time at the beginning, you die in the crash, and everything else is just like this pre-post-death hallucination thing. Uh, just because my boss pissed me off. <laughs> Holy shit. And that's how you write a video. Was that, was that the titular line of Spec Ops, The Line? Yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I genuinely thought after that game came out that it would change the sort of um, the gravity kind of in, in the shooter landscape forever. Me too. And it didn't. Not at all. Which bums me out. Like, I think that they... I won't say names, but a bunch of different prominent first-person shooters tried to get more serious. Uh, and sometimes it worked. Other times it was just – it sort of fell flat on its face. Were you kind of surprised that no one really took that as an opportunity to say, like, hey, this is an actual serious thing we're dealing with? Or First, I was surprised that anyone liked it. That was, like, honestly, going into that game shipping, I was convinced everyone's going to hate us. This is going to be one of those things where they play like, well, screw you, Mr. High and Mighty, saying my video games are bad. <laughs> and uh, and people were like, oh wow, no, I get. And people got it, and that was really cool. Um, I I was a little bummed, maybe for like a month or two. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, you know what? Life's hard, and it's long, right? And it can be pretty crappy for most of the time. And sometimes you just want to sit down and shoot something in a game because it's entertainment. It's sure. fun, and yeah. I get that. And I like to do that too. I kind of ultimately, I, I kind of hoped that we would see more serious dramatic games come out of it and about a year afterward you know uh, the last of us came out and that's you know in my opinion one of the best uh, dramatic uh, stories to come out in in the last few generations of yeah, games absolutely um and you know red dead redemption also like another one but that came out while we we're working on spec ops hello there would you like to save money and play more video games well let me introduce you to our sponsor gamefly gamefly is the best way to buy and rent all your favorite games at gamefly.com you pick your favorite games and have them mailed directly to your door or mailbox Gamefly is the leading video game rental service with over 9,000 titles to choose from. You can try your favorite games before you buy and keep the games as long as you want with no late fees. So if you're stuck on a boss fight or having a really good time, it's not a big deal. You can cancel at any time, and they also offer movie rentals too. Go to Gamefly.com slash farbeyond and start your free premium 30-day trial today. The premium trial allows you to check out two games and or movies at a time. You can only get this offer, again, by visiting Gamefly.com slash farbeyond. Now go sign up and start playing all your favorite games absolutely free for 30 days right now. Um, but I think ultimately, like, as art, the, the games and stuff that we make, they tend to reflect uh, the environment we're in. Things are always going to get darker, and then they're going to get lighter, and then they're going to get dark. It's going to be circular. Um, and so I think we'll, we'll get back to it in, like, 10 years. Someone will be like, hey, no one's ripped off Heart of Darkness in a while. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, we're going to get another one of those. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But the thing about Spec Ops is when you think, like, yeah, it probably wasn't commercially, uh, it didn't blow anything out of the water. Yeah. But, like, when it comes to shooters from five years ago, it's one of the few people bring up on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we bring it up on IGN shows once a month. Uh, in in some respect, like we're putting together a list of the top hundred game moments of all time. We just launched the first of five parts, and it's on the list. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of moments from first person shooters on the list, so I feel like it's a thing that over time, it's it, people. Maybe everyone didn't play it, but everyone who did play it walked away feeling something, which you really can't say. It sticks with you, well, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which I think is games. important. And you, you're right; you can't say that about most 
shooter campaigns. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because that was the goal, honestly, was like I we were all so burnt out and just angry. And I personally was bitter because I was I was living overseas in an apartment like without American peanut butter on a daily basis and was just miserable going into the office seven days a week we're in this thing because I wanted to be home. Mm-hmm. I missed I'm – I'm, I'm a homebody. I like my room with my stuff, and that's all I need. I don't need much. I just need my stuff. Uh, and, and Berlin's an amazing city. Uh, the team at Jaeger, amazing. A lot of them I'm still really good friends with today. So, like, it wasn't any of that. It was just being away sure. and living overseas for months and months on time. And I was pissed at the player. Not the team, not not 2K, <laughs> but the people that ultimately were going to play it. Like, they are doing this to me. Yeah. <laughs> and all they want is to feel like they're a hero. Mm-hmm. I want them to literally feel anything. I want them to hurt the way I hurt. I want to take something beautiful away from them, and I want to bring it down to my level, and I want them to have to wallow through it. Which is interesting. I, I, that's, I, that's the way it's the way people think of, without spoiling anything. But that's the way people think of The Last of Us, like you said, right? Like yeah. it's you know to bring it to our audience, who that's one of their favorite games ever made, is that you, there is a sort of uh, kind of nebulous confidence towards the end of that game, where you're like, I don't know what I am anymore. That is honestly that is one of my favorite endings in a video game mm-hmm. ever. I know a lot of people were really. It's been out long enough, so we'll talk spoilers. Uh, if you haven't played it yet, this is your fault. Um, a lot of people are upset because, like, I, they're like, "I would never have done that." Right? You know, faced with losing his, you know, adoptive daughter, Joel decides to murder everyone in a hospital to pull her comatose body off a bed and drag her outside, and then lie to her, say, "No, they didn't really need you. Everything's fine. We're going to mm-hmm. be okay." And I get that a lot of people playing that weren't comfortable with that because, like, I would never do that, but. As I was playing it, I was thinking, I would totally do this. Right. Like, the, like I am, everything Joel is doing right now is an extremely selfish, weak, frightened act by a man who lost a daughter long, long years ago when the zombie outbreak happened, shut himself off to relationships and emotion, and finally, over the course of this journey, has learned to, for lack of a better phrase, love again. Right. And Through the, through the means of a placebo daughter, effectively. Exactly. Uh, and suddenly the, the idea of losing that, of going through that again, he is willing to look the world in the eye and go, you can burn. I don't care about you. I don't care about humanity. I only care about her. And maybe I was in a dark mm-hmm. place at the time, but playing through that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I absolutely 100%. And now that I have a daughter of my own, I definitely yeah, get right. it. Like I would, you're all great. I would kill everyone. Oh, of it's you fine. Yeah, no, go to, ahead. If necessary. Oh, it's fine. Uh, well, I, if we've earned it, then yeah, we deserve to die. Yeah, it's okay. It would be gentle. That's fine. Thank you. Um, no, no. I, I just think that like a lot of a lot of people who play video games are um, they want the the world is horrible, right? Yeah. And they want escapism. They want uh, heroism. They want to go home and they want to be empowered. Um, and I don't think that they usually want to kind of end that journey on a sort of questionable or sour note like that. Well, I think I think you're right, but I think what's great about that ending is up to that point. No matter who you are playing this game, you're thinking what you're usually thinking when you're playing a video game. This is me. This is my journey. This is my adventure. I'm Joel. Ellie is my daughter, adopted daughter, whatever. And um, and that ending is is the game looking at you going, this was never about you. And this was never your story. Mm-hmm. This is their story. And the final shot uh, where, where she asks him, you know, did you lie to me? Yeah. Is, is, was all that true? And he says, yes, it was true. And she, like, clearly doesn't believe him. Yeah. But she accepts it. That's that takes it to that next level. Not only is this their story, they're choosing to move on with it in a way that you even more you probably are not happy with. Mm-hmm. They're completely taking this out of your hands in every possible way, and they're just going to go on with their life, and they're gone. So, and I love that. Like it's yeah. heartbreaking, and it's beautiful, and it's true, and that's what's so great about it. That's that's to me. I think that is one of the one of the absolute best final moments in anything. Yes, yes I agree. Which is why at PSX when they revealed The Last of Us Part Two, I was conflicted because I was like, well, the first game is one of my favorite games. And so, by all intents and purposes, I should be excited for The Last of Us Part Two. But part of me, and I do like seeing that teaser trailer with her playing the guitar and, and the idea of seeing her and Joel again is exciting. But I'm also like, what if it just would have, that would, what if that was it? Mm-hmm. Like, what if it just ended there? So, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, look, it's tough. Video games are a franchise operation. Yeah. Everything that we do, 
we're trying to make a franchise because franchise is marketing shorthand. If you are already emotionally invested in a franchise, I don't have to sell you on a sequel. Even if you didn't want a sequel, you're already sold because I'm reminding you, hey, remember how that first one made you feel? That's why there are 800-plus Mario games that have come out since like 1983 and half of them aren't even Mario games it's just like uh, I want to make a tennis game stick Mario in it <laughs> like there's yeah, like if you, if you strike oil you keep drilling for oil there you don't like go like let's go look for oil elsewhere different oil yeah exactly have you finished that game he shoots all the doctors <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible and he looks in the mirror and he's the last doctor <laughs> Daisy's like did you lie to me and he's like I don't know <laughs> yeah. um, no I think it's worth that's worth talking about with, with games is that as a storytelling medium it is weird because they're like they they give the player control and it becomes this the idea of a game being a thing that's fun is it's not always the case you know like i mean the last of us and spec ops are both they're both harrowing and if yeah. you're like these are fun things you're like you have you have shit wrong with you <laughs> they're, they're not fun <laughs> yeah like there might be parts that are enjoyable but they're like they're they're telling a story and that's something that's done you know that's from your end exactly. like you're you know there are writers and, and people making this stuff and then to kind of trick the player into thinking that they're the one controlling things i mean I'm thinking of like the end of Mass Effect Three when everyone like lost their shit because they're like, "Oh, you, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do this 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 way. You didn't give me the proper repercussions." But at the same time, it was like, "Oh, it, nothing you did mattered." Yeah, like, this is our call. It's not saying it was a good ending, but like that kind of there's a certain level of like I think like totalitarianism that comes with creating art. But when it's interactive art, it gets complicated. And I think that's where it got tricky yeah. with with the Last of Us specifically, some of, or some of the backlash on that, which, uh, you know, I think most people agree that's a fantastic video game, but was that you do not have the choice to not shoot those doctors. Well, it's because Joel, that's not what Joel would do. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But we are, we are so um, conditioned, dare I say, spoiled by the fact that so much of our video game media has multiple endings and branching paths and this sort of gray box area of like, I play good, I play bad, I'm going for the good ending, I'm going for the bad ending. And you watch a movie, it just ends, right? Yeah. And then sometimes, like on the DVD, like there's X, six extra minutes Suicide Squad or some bullshit like that. <laughs> but for the most part, <laughs> the movie just ends. Like, I saw that there was like, there was like, uh, they were promoting the movie Get Out and they're like, now with an alternate ending. And I was like, no! Oh. Why? It was great. Like, I don't need that, you know? So, uh, we're kind of spoiled in that yeah. regard. So I think it's like that's we i think we need to be able to sort of as people who consume video games to to kind of trust trust the writers sometimes yeah you know i mean I, there are bad endings that can happen that happens all the time well i think it's just that we need to branch out in the type of games we're making we should have both we should have every type of possible ending scenario we should have games that have multiple endings we have, should have games that are extremely vague and left up in the air so that no one knows what they mean we should have games that are like no this is exactly what happened right had nothing to do with you this is the ending i wanted to write i worked my whole life to get to the point where i could write a multi-million dollar video game and you're gonna sit there and you're gonna like it and because that's how art is mm-hmm. and you know like we have all sorts of type of movies like you know steven spielberg isn't out there complaining that grindhouse films exist he's out there making oscar films and ready player one he's like whatever go watch what you want i yeah. don't care i'm rich there's, i have oscars there's room for everything <laughs> yeah. yeah and so <laughs> that was a good spielberg impression yeah. thank you um and that's what we need in games like and i think it just it, we're working off of a lot of assumptions of what players want uh and we forget that players can only uh, want what we give them and we've been giving them a lot of the same structure and things for years. So, yes, the numbers say players want this. Mm-hmm. But also you look at literally everything Naughty Dog's ever made. Right. All, you know, extremely successful stuff. Very, very linear uh, endings that well, are That was pretty exactly. fucked up at the end of yeah. Crash Bandicoot when he kills all those doctors. Mm-hmm. Got to stop doing that. They were veterinary. You know, and there weren't even any doctors in the game up <laughs> yeah. to that point. Dr. Like, Cortex! Cortez. Shoots him right Cortez. in the face. I, the one doctor survived. I've uh, actually never played a Crash Bandicoot game, except for the time that Uncharted 4 made me play a Crash Bandicoot game. And I was yeah. very yeah. upset Well, maybe it's that. not about what you as the player want. You know? um, so we have to talk about Star Wars Battlefront a little yeah. bit. Uh, yeah. Max and I played that last game for dozens and dozens of hours. Obviously, the single-player campaign was a thing that people came out of that game or went into that game being like, where is it? Why isn't it here? <laughs> they come out the other end. They're like, where did it go? <laughs> right. I thought it'd be here. Uh. I've looked in every menu. I I mean, to me, like to mention placebo effects again, as I played that game, I was like, I'm on Endor and I'm the story of Star Wars now. So I didn't really need a plot. But you guys have to write one and it picks up where Return of the Jedi left off, which is fantastic because I I love I love that movie. I adore that movie. And it gets a lot of hell for having bears in it and stuff. Ewoks are fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. 
they're better than porgs. Until we see the porgs like puke blood or or poop teeth or something. Because then. the Ewoks did that. <laughs> no, but the Ewoks were murderous. Like, and they were they were they used stormtroopers' heads as drums and stuff like that. And they killed that robot chicken with their. With the sticks. rebels were surprisingly cool with that. Oh like, yeah, really cool with it. Yeah, that was that is a little well, also, weird. They, they wanted a dress. They they wanted yeah. Where'd that dress come from? We don't know. No one knows. We're trying, we're trying to figure that out. They wanted it so quickly from like these things are going to eat us. To like, oh no, we're cool. Yep. I'm like, no, like the second someone like expresses a, interest in eating me, I'm like, I think it's going to take a while for us. like yep. a golden Wait, god. Yeah. That's got to be like every every time they go to a new planet in Star Wars, that's got to be like the first interaction is one of us is going to attempt to eat the eat other one. Yeah. Like that's, that's just, yeah. like, that's just, and like if, you know, if suddenly we met talking wolves, that would be the first thing. Like, yeah. who's going to eat who? I like that look that Lando gives one of them at the end of the movie where he's like, I'll have a little more wine and then we're dancing. <laughs> What I think like? he has sex with one of them. <laughs> I understand. I think it's Pap Lou. <laughs> um, so I like yeah, I, I I wrote a dumb joke on Twitter a couple years ago about how Episode Seven would pick was picking up after, uh, and I I thought it would just immediately like they'd have to clean up from that weird party they had with all those bears. Yeah, because the Star Wars for thirty fucking years just ended with just like and they're all just partying. They're like playing drums on the guy's head and they're burning this guy's robot dad and then there's just like streamers on the floor and some solo cups and then it's this like goodbye yeah and they leave um but then you you have to start a game right after that no it's cool because we're starting a game on the losing side oh so they show up and they're like someone threw a party <laughs> with some bears. What, well that's the thing a lot of people don't realize this is that after the battle of endor they paused the war momentarily mm-hmm. and the rebels like you guys lost so you got to clean up and so, yeah. like, the first mission is literally just walking around picking a cat. <laughs> yeah, so it is, it's really immersive. Yeah. Yes. It so, is. But, but I imagine your, your new character, Aiden, right? Yeah. I, uh, Aiden Versio. Aiden Versio. I imagine that her and her friends, the first thing they want to do is show up and just start shooting all the bears out of the trees. <laughs> that, yes. I, I can't wait to play this game. I'm, going, I'm not saying that's what you do. Yeah. I'm just saying I can imagine yes. that would be something they would want to do. Because, you see, now we're crossing into a line of things... I can only just nod and smile. Yes, yes, yes. yes. yes, yes. So we do have one question. Uh, This is pretty vague. Um, Jacob Vauder from our our Facebook group says, did you draw any inspiration from the old expanded universe when writing the campaign for Battlefront 2? That's obviously like a huge bone of contention with um, sad old dorks like us who read those stupid, (laughs) stupid books they sold at the grocery store about the weird Muppets and what their backstories were. But ever since 2014, when kind of Disney came in and just like did the great culling, and now it's pretty much everything that isn't a movie or a TV show is like starting fresh mm-hmm. and you are this is the f- this is the second canonical star wars game that's adding t- there was that there's a the mobile game yes yeah right Uprising. So, yes sorry to disappoint you're the second not the first but i know but yeah no this is like i mean star wars and video games have been intersected since like i i played dark forces before i watched star wars like yeah. not so, canon. exactly it's it's nonsense yeah um, exactly are you are you guys pulling from anything that you so here's the thing. Before I started working on this game, I had only ever read one EU novel, uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Oh, that's, that's a, a good really one. good one. That's a it really was good one. My grandmother really bought it for me for Christmas one year. I read it. It was great. You should read Tales from Java's Palace. It's my favorite. That one, too? It's really okay. good. I'll yeah, they talk one. about Malakili, the Rancor Keeper, and like why. And then you got to read Tales from the Moss Eisley Canteen after that. They're all really good. And then there's uh, Greedo's Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> my big fat Greedo's Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> is that its own book, or is that a short story? In one of the it's guys? called On the Rodian, and he is, uh, it's <laughs> no. a road trip comedy about falling in love. I actually love that. Is it real? Yeah. Yes. No, it's You're not. Switch None of it's real. real. <laughs> it's so, bad. so okay. So uh, going in, I had I had very little EU knowledge, but my co-writer Mitch Dyer, who you may know, mm-hmm. I do, uh, is basically uh, the human repository of all EU knowledge. So I had him for my in- for the inspiration of EU, like Mitch. What would be a thing that we could do here? And he's like, well. <laughs> Perhaps you don't know, but in the courtship of Princess Leia, blah, 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 blah. Check that. Oh, you have to every time. Uh, (laughs) Princess Leia is kidnapped by witches on Rancors. I think. I don't remember. Sounds awesome. (laughs) I want those toys. (laughs) Rancor. Oh, yeah. Rancors are an interesting thing. Really? No. They're they're terrifically boring, like weird burn victim Tyrannosauruses. They're not very fun at all. They're They're great. They're really great in Return of the Jedi. But like, here's the thing: when you're writing Star Wars and you're thinking about Star Wars stories, you're like, man, I want to see more big monsters. I want to put a big monster in my game. I know Rancor, because that's the first thing your mind goes to. Because you, when you were a kid, it blows. And this is the thing with Star Wars: when you're writing Star Wars, your mind immediately jumps to all the things as a kid that you want. But then you're like, no, you have to remind yourself you're not a kid. Right. 
you can actually make stuff. There's Lucasfilm wants you to make new stuff. Oh. And so you're like, but Rancor. Yeah. And so you have to like you have to teach yourself to hate Rancor. What? I love Rancor. <laughs> Rancor's great. You mostly love the Rancor Keeper. You sound like Malakili right now. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I love the Rancor! <laughs> Let's take my shirt off. It's covered in oils. Um, no, I mean, like, what? There's 10 million TIE fighters in all nine Star Wars movies, and there's one goddamn Rancor? That's a problem, right? There's ATSTs in every movie. I like you're like, that's a problem, right? And we're like, I don't know. I, I, like <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's a problem. I, I like them a lot. I don't know. You yeah. go outside, there's a lot of different kinds of cars. They're all like a car, you know? Yeah, there's it's not like many. Style guide. Yeah, there's not many T Rexes still <laughs> walking yeah. around. So there are like large, large dogs though. Yeah. So what is the rancor if not a large dog? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a great fair. question, Marty. <laughs> That's a fair comparison. Yeah. There yes. was a like a deep nuanced section of this podcast that is now completely gone. <laughs> yeah. What if the, is the rancor a dog or a tyrannosaurus <laughs> or a car? <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, no. To answer your question, Jacob, um, maybe. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, because we were. That seems like the safe response. Yeah, I think I think it's really cool I, that I mean, so much. It, it's both like liberating and kind of frustrating that so much that EU stuff got thrown out the window um, because now there is going to invariably become spots that sort of cover that those sections that are now yeah. gone. Right. I mean, episode seven was immediately like, oh, there's no more like you know Han and Leia don't have twins. Maybe as far as we know. As far as we know. Yeah, but I mean, Maybe just to, talk, to talk about your game in like a very sort of just high level broad strokes. Like most of us expected going into this that in a Star Wars campaign, you play as the good guys, you play as a Jedi yeah. or, or a member of the Rebel Alliance. Um, but in this, like we don't expect to play as the Empire and we don't expect to sympathize with the Empire because that's not what the movies taught us to do. So, like, was that cool? Just sort of that being was able cool. to. to well, you know, look, uh, that side of things is interesting. Uh, for me as a writer and, and also for someone enjoying Star Wars stories or any type of story like the Empire we going into the movies we see the Empire strictly as like the people at the top the most corrupt the most evil we're not seeing the, the low level people who were coming out of the Clone War uh, were coming out of a galaxy ripped apart uh, by this conflict and we're seeing the hope of a unified galaxy and we're buying into the promise of the Empire. Because up to that point, like, all these people thought Palpatine, hey, great guy. Like, he's really doing a lot to end this war. And now he's an emperor, and the Jedi attacked him, and they totally betrayed him. And so, you know, the clones wiped him out, and now we're going we're gonna to bring peace again. We're going to make everything Jedi, cool. that was fake news. Well, to be fair, they did it. <laughs> what about her emails? <laughs> um, Not all stormtroopers. <laughs> so, like, yeah, writing a story from that angle of, like, someone who would have grown up in the empire and believed in the propaganda and the indoctrination of it, of like, this is, this really is order and peace. We're trying Mm -hmm. to make the galaxy better. That's interesting to me because they don't, I mean, Iden Versio isn't hanging out with the emperor, listening to him, you know, cackle madly. And like, Oh wait, maybe that's a bad guy. Like she really thinks she's doing good and that the rebels are bad. And the, and you know, she was, uh, in in the prequel novel Inferno Squad, written by Christy Golden, you know we learned that Aiden was a Tie fighter, a Tie pilot who survived the initial Death Star blast. So she's one of the few people who's actually been witness to both Death Star explosions. So she really has a very twisted view of, of the rebels. Like she sees these people as true mass murderers. Well, they're terrorists. They are. Like, they exactly. are a bunch yeah. of weird wingnuts with like robe desert dwellers who blow up government buildings. Like mm-hmm. they're, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's basically what a new hope is. It's a crazy man that lives in like a sand cave and he's like, oh, you're an orphan now. Come, let's go blow up the ball in the sky. And he's like, OK, I don't know what else to do. That sounds cool. Can we bring these cool robots yeah. with us? One of them knows Chinese. <laughs> Some great movies. Uh, no, but like, I mean, I, I, I do. I really appreciate that we're sort of seeing like these opportunities to kind of humanize that side of it. Yeah. Um, we got it with Finn a little bit in episode seven where it's sort of just like he's this guy that's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he jumps over. Uh, I don't know if that's where we're going to go with Aiden, but I'm really I'm fascinated to see sort of the justification from that perspective. Because it's true, like, you show up in Endor and all your friends have been killed by bears and you're like, oh, what the, f-? like, this yeah. is, like, from, I mean, her, from her shoes, like, that doesn't look great. I mean, the, the Ewoks are literally inspired by the Viet Cong. Like, that was Francis Ford Coppola, going back to Apocalypse Now. Just right. These, like, weird, like, forest-dwelling, like, tribal guerrilla little shits who are yeah. going to, like, mess up a bunch of highly trained military specialists. Kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And they were like, we don't have the budget for full-grown Wookiees, so let's use bears. Also, they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like Wicked. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, that comes out, what, November or something? November, yes. Something? Something. something. 18th, 19th? Yeah. 14th? Thanksgiving. One of, there's a one in front of it. I'm yeah, I think it's the 18th. Yeah. And so your your work is done now, right? Yeah. Yes. Work is never done. Yeah. Uh, I'm yes. Uh, my work is done. I mean, you you have like touch up polishing of like uh, you know looking at uh, maybe try a different you know let's put a different take in or something like that. You have line placement stuff like that. You have a, like, the writing. The writing is done. You have a galactic mm-hmm. shoe shiner and needs a new line. <laughs> <laughs> Booger's not We're doing. Of a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How weird would it be if all of your games had that character? Like that was the one tie. Like he he appears in evolve. Yeah, in, like, a corner at one. But well, he looks different every time. Booger. <laughs> Anyway, I like um, the idea of Booger being like a shoe shining cantina alien. So, real fa- I want to tell you one more story about Star Wars. Let's do it. Yeah, you brought no, up you brought up Finn. Yeah, and here's the thing: uh, a lot of people don't know this. I almost didn't write this game because I got the call from Motive uh, at a time where my wife and I were about to have our first kid, and they were like, "We need you to start." Um, the date they gave was about two weeks before my child was supposed to be born, and if you have a kid, which I don't believe any of you have. Mm-mm. That could be the exact week that your child is born or the week after your child is born. You don't know. It, it's there up in the air. Like, we're going to give you a date. And if it doesn't happen by then, we'll give you a shot. And then you'll have a baby. Uh, so you don't know. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable, you know, flying to Canada and being, you know, because we, we were living out in Oakland. We don't have family out here. My wife would just be alone. And, like, I'm not comfortable being, I, might, I think I'm going to have to say no. And they were like, well, just think about it. I'll be fine. And so I got off the phone with them, and my wife and I go to get an ultrasound that afternoon. And we're sitting in the lobby waiting to go in, and I'm just flipping on Twitter, being a very supportive husband. And uh, I see uh, a tweet uh, from John Boyega to EA, hey, where's my Battlefront story mode? <laughs> and I show it over to my wife, and she goes, I think you got to. I think you got to write Star Wars. Oh, my God. Because Finn, Finn wants you to write him a Star Wars game. Mm. And I was like, I, I think I do. <laughs> and you and named your firstborn John Boyega. I did. And she's going to hate it when she gets old enough to realize that. Um, not because John is, John is a wonderful person. Yeah. But John she, Boyega, she doesn't. She just doesn't look like a John Boyega. No, no, no. She, yeah. she, you know, she's a tiny yeah. little. She looks like a Daisy Ridley. Yeah, very yeah. much. Um, so my you, daughter John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> so you were there. You were there for her birth, right? I was there for Good. her. Birth. You didn't like Scaramucci it and send a text. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, great job. God, that name's going to be a, just like a weird trivia question five years from now. Everyone's going to be like, "Oh man, I missed. I remember yep. that guy." So here's how the birth went. First off, my wife is a huge Prince fan. Prince died like an hour into my wife's labor. So what? Yeah. And so I'm we're 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 going through the labor thing, and I'm just like because I'm I'm you know helping with breathing and stuff, and like being involved, fanning her, giving her water, ice chips, and I'm also on text duty, texting family. You know everything's going fine. We're still doing good. We're dilating. Everything's good. So I'm having to do all this, and I'm getting the Twitter things like, and I'm like, do I tell her? Do I tell her? Do I? And like in a break from contractions, I'm like, honey. Prince died. And she's already crying because of the pain. So, like, I don't know if it caused more tears. But here's the thing. When you're in the middle of labor, you forget things. So, like, she would go into contractions and, like, be screaming, oh, this is terrible. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I believe Prince died. (laughs) And something about this repetition spawned an idea in me. Now, the day before, before she went into labor, I'm on an eight-hour call with Mitch and Mark Thompson and Motive, uh, the game director, trying to nail down our story because, like, my wife is – there's some pregnancy pizza out in Oakland that if you eat, it's supposed to make you go into labor. And she's like, I'm going to eat this. And, like, she comes in at 11 what? in what the morning you? with a pizza. And I'm like, what do you mean right now? Like, I still have words to do. How fast does the pizza work? She's like, don't worry. I got you a pepperoni one. Just uh, go away. What if and, we're not pregnant? <laughs> what if what if one of us eats – what if you ate the pregnancy pizza? It's kind of like aliens. Is it Lane Splitter or is it, like, Rotten City? It's. Oh, I don't even remember. I it's, hope it's not yeah. the second one. Yeah, it's like either yeah. one is it's, very bad. I don't yeah. like either of those yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, but so <laughs> actually, I don't hope it's not the first yeah. one either. <laughs> <laughs> so we spent eight hours before she goes into labor nailing down the story, and then something about her repeating this Prince thing over and over and over spikes something in me. So I'm fanning my wife, texting her mom. Everything's fine. Switching over to email. Okay, Mitch. So I had an idea. So now I'm sending Star Wars brainstorming ideas in the birth of my child. <laughs> And now she knows that because she'll probably watch this tomorrow. So, um, oops. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's all of Finn and babies. That's how I wrote Star Wars. I feel like Prince would love this. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you think your daughter is the reincarnation of Prince? Okay, we're kind of Leia. We're not gonna lie. <laughs> we were like, how? What? What Prince song can we name her after that's not inappropriate? Oh, there isn't one. Did you, so you just <laughs> named her a symbol? We did. <laughs> no uh, offense, but Prince definitely came back as a holographic butterfly. That's fair. I'm, I keep, like, handing her guitars. And I'm just like, <laughs> can you do something with this? Yeah. And she just gives me this look that's like, I don't know English, but this is very heavy. Babies love guitars. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, have you ever played Baby Jammers? Yeah. What? It's a Ubisoft game. Don't ever game. say that again. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we want to fly through a couple of questions real quick before yeah, let's, we wrap up? We were going to talk about a bunch of other things like, like Destiny uh, 2 and the last day of June, but we'll talk about those next week. Okay. You actually got some on my phone because the printer didn't my, work. My quick uh, Destiny 2 impressions is uh, I didn't play any of Destiny 1. I played 15 hours of Destiny 2 over the weekend, and I think it's a very good video game. Awesome. And I want to talk about it a lot next week. Yeah, we and we did an hour-long Let's Play today, yeah. the three of us and Alana. Yeah, so. that should be up any day, yeah. uh, youtube.com slash IGN Beyond. Um, yeah. Michael Taylor asks, do you think a game story has has to live up to the standards by which movies are judged. Are they even the same standards? They don't have to, but they should. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, some movie scripts are also not great, but those <laughs> movies are still enjoyable. That's like, true. A, uh, any kind of uh, cinematic experience, and games are a cinematic experience when we're talking AAA, like we just have to accept it, uh, that they are. Um, it can be good, it can be bad. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Nothing wrong with that, but there's nothing wrong with trying. Now, when you read like a bad movie script, you can sort of tell it's going to be a bad movie, even if like the acting and cinematography is amazing. Sometimes it can turn it around. But. Kind of sometimes. I mean, it's the same thing with with writing a game. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like I remember specifically on Spec Ops writing a line and like being like, "Oh, it's not very good." And then you know, Nolan just reading it and like making it his own and making it amazing and being like, "Wow, I am such a good writer." Right. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I mean, you have a lot of stuff where actors and the people they can make it better, but you know. I try to make my writing as I when I'm writing a game I try to think what if this was a movie uh because that's what I grew like like we were saying games that we grew up with didn't have stories I was learning my story from watching movies as a kid and so like I'm trying to grab the emotions that those scenes and those movies caused in me as a kid if I can replicate that in someone who's playing a game that I wrote then for me that's a success right that's awesome um Nathan McKerney asks uh what PlayStation franchise would you want to help make a story for? Now, I'm going to steer this a little bit because you just told us you've never played a Crash Bandicoot game. So I, on the spot, I want Walt Williams to pitch us his Crash Bandicoot game. Okay, it would be Crash Bandicoot dot 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 Jack and Daxter. Just make another Jack and Daxter. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that Jack... And Daxter or Jack and Jack and Daxter? <laughs> don't, definitely don't say that. Wasn't don't, Jack don't and say Daxter. That. Don't say that. I don't know, maybe he's stealing Daxter. So what? So the game just starts yeah. and Crash Bandicoot's like, "Wow, what an adventure!" But not for me, for them. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really great bait yes. switch yeah. if they I, totally marketed it as a Crash. Game. I don't understand why there have only been three. There need to be, and I know there was one on PSP, but I didn't have a PSP, so I don't count them. Yeah. Um, there just need to be more. That's what we didn't need. The Last of Us Two. We needed Jack and Daxter. Now that's that's the franchise that America needs. Yeah, today. And I don't want it gritty. I want them to be colorful, and I want them finding orbs. I think we should that's combine. Right. Them. And I want the this one to us. not have yeah. a racing level. In Zero it. racing levels. I, I like that. Gritty post-apocalyptic stuff. No, I think the Last of Us Two, or I think the next Jack and Daxter game should just pick up exactly where the Last of Us left off, but swap those characters. Jack's in a car, <laughs> and Daxter's the one who looks at him and was like, "Did you Did lie you to lie me?" To me? <laughs> <laughs> We're dumb. <laughs> <sighs> you want to bring right. us home? Yeah, let's do this. Uh, well, this is awesome. We had like a bunch of garbage yeah. we're going to talk about here, but we totally am. Yeah, we'll, we'll, about, we'll talk about game impressions and stuff next year. Uh, well, next what, a game came out this week called Maze. What is your thoughts on it? M-A-I-Z-E. Uh, my thoughts are I have a 17-month-old baby, and if your game is longer than two hours, I haven't played it. Yeah, none of us. I don't know yes. what it is. So is it about I, corn? I it's longer no than two thoughts. hours. It's, re- it's real weird. It's like a first-person adventure puzzle game a la Mist, but with strange Monty Pythonish humor. So mm-hmm. that sounds cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Actually, it's, it's real weird. Yeah, um, we'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. more next week. Yeah, we'll talk more about games next week. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter. I'm Max Scoville. Marty's McBiggity with two G's and two T's. Brian is Agent Bizzle, and Walt, you're at Walt D. Williams. Walt D. Williams. And, and talk about where can people find your book? When can people find your book? Uh, you can work? find Significant Zero right now. You can pre-order it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or you can go to any of your local bookstores. It comes out in stores September 19th. So you know so, the date. Like you a- know the date for Significant Zero, but you don't know the date for Star Wars. I, I know. I know. Now, is no, there it's like- fair. It's totally fair. I know. <laughs> is there like a two hundred dollar version of it that comes with the statue and doesn't come with the book? That for if, <laughs> if you 
PayPal me $200 right now. <laughs> I will actually just come to your house and read it while I'm eating a pizza. Don't do That's oh, actually, not a no, lot of money. Serious, serious question. Are you doing audio I am too? really easy. Yeah, are you doing uh, audio I'm, There is an audio book. I'm not reading it, though. Okay. Who are you yeah. getting? Um, you Booger. have any choice? How do, how do books work? You should get the guy who played Booger to read your book. <laughs> It's an audio bug. Uh, the the person I I can't remember their name. Uh, the audio publisher who's doing it. Uh, they have a staple of people. They sent me over, and I was like, "That one's good. That guy's great. Let's do that one." Um, Clancy Brown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from the Lost. That's played the good. Kurgan and uh, <laughs> Krabby Patties or whatever. Wrote, yeah, wrote in the contract. He has yeah. to do it from my house. This yeah. is yeah. this is totally stupid. One of my favorite audiobooks ever is like uh, David Cross did an audiobook like two years ago for his book, and it's read by this woman for like the first three chapters, and then he they hear a knock on the door on the recording booth, and she's like, <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm reading this book by David Cross, and he's like, that's me, that's my book. And she's like, that's oh, brilliant. I'm sorry. And she's like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> and sits down and really awesome. good. Yeah. Anyway, oh my god. Okay, so significant zero. It's a book. Get it. You don't. You don't need to plug anything into the wall to do it. You just pick it up and you, and you look at. Hold that up to, by your face and let them see it on the camera. There we go. That's a book. Anyway, it also had a, it has a really good story about the recording the VO sessions for Mafia Two, where you had to record with a woman who had to record all of her sex sounds, and it was it sounded very, I felt uncomfortable reading it. It's the worst. Yeah, so she had to record VO of what of various moans. She was very very nice yeah. to realize that I was so uncomfortable <laughs> having to direct her through various sexual oh, moans. Oh man! And finally said, "Honey, it's okay. I I do all the True Blood audiobooks, so I've had to do worse." <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. Make the moans, but have it sound like you're having sex with Dracula. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, uh, can, can you make, can you moan so more sadly, please? Can you moan and cry at the same time? Good Lord. But I'm uh, having sex with a man. Oh, no. Now it is a rabbit, a shapeshifter. Oh. Uh, but no, sitting up in zero. The book front to back is, uh, it's really great. Yeah. Cool. Highly recommended. Awesome. Books are a good time. Uh, yeah, dude, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. Thanks for having me. Honestly, it was, it was great. I've always wanted to come on. Yeah. This is super exciting. Yeah, this is like seriously one of my favorite times recording the show we've, I've, since I've taken over. Aww. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm stoked to play your game and uh, see all the EU stuff that Mitch screwed up on that wasn't your fault because you only read the best of the Star Wars expanded universe. <laughs> um, Tales from Jabba's Palace, though. Check it out. And okay. Greedo's wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. On that note, uh, beyond. We're good night. That's it. We're going away. See you soon. What if it's the morning? Who cares? It's fine. It's a weird thing for a man to tell you goodnight in the morning. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.